when you look at the government's ministry list, you'll find one for aged care, small business and Indigenous Australians. While there is a minister for youth, the Human Rights Commission believes there is one group of Australians left off the list, children. Children's Commissioner Anne Hollands wants this to change and she joins us this morning. Anne Hollands, welcome. Good morning, Patricia. Why do we need a minister for children? Well, uh, by the way, you left off Minister for Women off your little list in the intro. Look, I, I think the, the reason we have specific titles like this in ministries is to ensure that there is someone responsible uh, to for the coordination of policy effort um, for them. And and what we find, you know, with this, the, the new government's got some great initiatives, uh, I have to say, the early years strategy, childcare reforms, you know, there's really good things happening. But the, the reality is, and this a lot of this is historical, that children's policy is scattered across a lot of different portfolios. It's just in bits and pieces all over the place. So I really think one of the reasons why we're having difficulty getting traction on some of the most difficult problems like child protection, youth justice crises and so forth is that we're not getting coordinated effort across the core portfolios of health, education, social services, Indigenous Australians, etc. And I think um, having a task force that works across those portfolios and a minister for children that has a steering, coordinating role would really make a difference. How would it be different to the Minister for Youth that's currently held by Anne Ali? I mean, children are youth, right? Yeah, so Minister Ali, it's terrific. She's got this portfolio that um, it looks at ages 12 to 25 and they've got a youth engagement strategy that they're pursuing. That's That's great. But it's not the same as having someone responsible for children and youth. Right, and and for really steering that coordination across the portfolios for reform purposes, you know, we have a very very complex and fragmented policy and services landscape that is not fit for purpose for the people that need these services the most. And I'm talking here, kids and their families living with disadvantage. We know that they can't get the help they need when they need it in the ways they need it. And we've we've not really been able to tackle these deep problems ever, right? I think it's time we took this on very, very seriously. Are you calling for this just at the sort of national, commonwealth, federal level, or do you think the states and territories should also be doing it at the same time? Well, some states do have ministers with children in their title, and they've also combined uh, sort of child protection and, and youth justice uh, together in, in in portfolios, which is a really sensible thing to do because, you know, we know that justice alone, a justice minister can't fix uh, the, the underlying drivers of youth crime. And we need to start to really work on those upstream systems that are failing our kids and their families. You've strengthened your calls for a children's minister after travelling around Australia looking at the impact of the pandemic on children. What have you seen that's worrying you? Well, it was just sort of coincidental in a way that I was um, uh, doing consultations for the uh, for, for the Co- Commonwealth Government to support their safe and supported framework uh, during COVID. And uh, and what, what was really obvious was that... Um, 
COVID really just amplified the failures in in our systems that had existed before, and uh, and we heard that that really families with really serious concerns like suicidal kids, you know, twelve and under, were were unable to get health help in the public health system, and were being sent away and and told to find a private psychiatrist, which really appalled me. Uh, of course, we heard a lot about the the housing crisis, which escalated during during um, COVID. Uh, but just basic, the basics were not there for the people that needed them. That they they weren't able to get help for the adults in the family, but also not for the kids. And and kids talked a lot about their worries for adults. So all of this sort of was was around during COVID, but. But these problems existed before, and I think we would have done a lot better to to um, avoid what we're now seeing as the health, well-being, and learning problems for kids, especially those living with disadvantage. If we'd had a national strategy for child well-being, and we'd had a, a and, and that child well-being was more of a was a in fact a national priority in this country, and we had a plan that that made the accountabilities clear. Part of the problem is that there aren't enough paediatricians and specialists, teachers to keep up with the growing need of more support for children. Isn't that at the heart of this problem? Well, that's a really big part of it. The fact that so few mental health professionals are trained to work with children, something like 5 or 10% of psychiatrists and psychologists and, and of course, yes, access to paediatricians. These are very, very important workforce uh, issues that need focused attention. But who's going to, to put that attention on them if we don't have child well health, uh, learning, development and well-being as a national priority. We've got to start to prioritise these things, Patricia. We've also, of course, uh, dealing with a cost of living crisis. A lot of focus even this morning on on this program on housing stress, on families Mm. just trying to make ends meet. It strikes me that it's children who who suffer when they they see their parents in this kind of financial distress. Is, Is that something that's concerning you at the moment? Well, yes, kids all over the country talked about uh, seeing their parents very stressed and worried about their financial stresses. And, of course, we know that uh, you're you're more likely to be in poverty if you are a a child. One in six kids lives in poverty in Australia. And on so many indicators, Australia lags the developed world when it comes to child wellbeing and also education. So these are things that will continue. They've been around for the whole of my career, uh, Patricia. We've made such little progress and and I really feel a a great sense of urgency that we take child wellbeing on as a national priority now. We, We do it seriously and we put in some clear plans and accountabilities to hold the portfolios and the jurisdictions accountable for the changes we need to see. Have you reached out to the Prime Minister and made your case? Well, I've I've sought a meeting and I've certainly had um, uh, meetings with lots of ministers where I've I've pressed pressed home these sorts of issues, as I've done for the past two years since I've been in the role. So, you know, I'm hoping that um, you know that this these will um, get some attention now as we we move on to um, a further period in this term when uh, these things can be discussed. Just on another issue, today, of course, is 15 years since former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd apologised to the stolen generations. 
And the federal government has just released the second Closing the Gap implementation plan, but the gap isn't closing fast enough and we're, we're going backwards on some measures and we know that uh, when we talk about children, it's Indigenous children that really are um, um, disadvantaged at a much higher rate than other Australian children. Do you think this this plan has enough meat on it to try and deal fundamentally with these issues? Well, it's absolutely an important part of the story. And in fact, it has, you know, the Closing the Gap has a, a framework of accountabilities that's really important that we pay attention to. But I think while we continue to have such fragmentation across policy and service systems, as I've just been discussing, uh, it will make it harder. And I think it's First Nations kids and families that will always suffer the most because the the service systems are not fit for purpose. And we're not listening to the families and the communities about how they need, what kind of help they need and how they need that help and and give them the control to, to design the sort of services that they need. You know, Patricia, uh, we often say that we have the evidence of what works and what needs to be done. The problem is in the implementation of the action. I'm really keen on closing that evidence to action gap and getting on with it rather than more reports or more inquiries. You know, we need to address the barriers within government itself to, to getting action on the evidence. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. National Children's Commissioner Anne Holland's there and you're listening to ABC RN Breakfast. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.